0: my lovelies, my friends, my close-knit community fans of philosophy, I hope you guys are having a great evening. And it's uh, wonderful to sit down and chat with you. You know, I got to tell you guys, just straight up, you are uh, by far pretty much the most addictive audience in the history of the known universe. I just, I can't get enough of you. What can I tell you? I'm a stalker. I am enjoying the psychedelic, Pixel-based wetware hookup of the Borg brain—a philosophy known as this community—and it's it's so delightful that uh, I thank you every single time you drop past to uh, to say hi, and uh, I really really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to a great evening's conversation. Thank you, everyone, so much for dropping by. Of course, it's a great uh, it's a great pleasure. So. Just a reminder, if you could uh, help out, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I'm going to put out the final section or the final episode of Sunset in the Golden State, my documentary on California, which will make us all nostalgic for the time when you could fly places and and do things other than burn things, steal things, and kill people. So freedomain.com forward slash donate to donate with help, with, uh, help out with that. It's really, really appreciated. You can also go to freedomain.stream, freedomain.stream, and you can tip there as well, which I, uh, of course, appreciate. Uh, I'm looking for the super chats. Uh, I am, of course, as you could imagine, entirely demonetized and have been for years on YouTube. But uh, you can go to freedomain.stream forward slash tip to help out there. And uh, I'm not saying that's the only way I will answer your questions because... Uh, I'm here uh, for everyone, but it certainly doesn't hurt. So, yeah, civil war, uh, absolutely. Yeah, interesting days we live, yeah. It reminds me of that old saying that I hope that war comes in my time, that my children shall know peace. Why can't I fix my wiki page? Um... I don't know why can't I fix my, my wiki page? I know a few people have gone in and tried, but uh, there's a lot of edit wars as far as I understand it. They locked the page so that people can't change it and we'll just uh we'll just have to see you know whether designating Antifa as a terrorist organization leads any black tentacled reach rounds into the wiki. Editors, they've had a history of just absolutely appalling behavior at wiki, covering up for pedos and all that kind of stuff, just nasty stuff all around. So we'll see. Uh, And whether that changes at all, whether there'll be any kind of limitation on Soros funding for these kinds of organizations, we'll we'll see, I guess, over time as it plays on, but I am no expert. And uh, your wiki page isn't bad. Pretty obvious hit tactics. Well, of course, you know, I mean... Let's let's be frank that uh, Che Guevara actually murdered a child, at least one, probably more, and was an outright murderer. And he gets a pretty glowing page on Wikipedia. I have not really murdered anyone. And all I do is disagree with the left and with collectivism and anti-rationality as a whole. And uh, I'm, I guess, incarnate Satan incarnate there. And uh, yeah. Uh, the, the results are in. I had a bunch of listeners go and check myself on YouTube to see if you type in Stefan Molyneux whether you get any type ahead, whether you get any autocomplete, and uh, no, you really, really don't. And uh, that's—I mean, I have account in good standing. It's pretty shitty behavior, but these are the times in which we live. Um, I guess I'll be kind of happy when the election year, <laughs> when the election year is over. Yeah, check your subscriptions too, because of course, uh, people, I'm getting regular complaints of people being unsubscribed. Even when they search for me in their history on YouTube, their history seems to have gone as well. So I don't know what they're doing, reaching into people's accounts and getting rid of history or anything like that. So we'll see. The riots are essentially an anti white Kristallnacht. Well, I wouldn't put it quite that starkly because there are, of course, you know, the white ISIS of Antifa are out there a lot. And uh, Antifa and other far left organizations, which have a lot of white people in them, of course, are delivering the bricks and uh, trying to pay and encourage the blacks to go out there and uh, get arrested for for the cause of communism. And it's all pretty, pretty wretched. And uh, let's see here. How far back are we going here? Good evening again, Steph, says Daniel. I haven't been able to see you in the results for a long, long time. I remember that uh, Donald Trump was shadow banned near the election. Yeah, listen, so they know, um, you know, the people in social media companies, the hard leftists for the most part, they know who influenced the 2016 election the most. I mean, it's, I guess, kind of a badge of honor for those of us who were part of the great smoking cratered meme wars of 2015 to 2016. Uh, They're pretty aware that my untruth about Donald Trump got millions of views and downloads and and uh, on the podcast and on YouTube and other places, and more untruths about Donald Trump and all of that did quite a lot to, you know, he only won by, what was it, 77,000 votes. So they're perfectly aware uh, who may have had some influence on shifting things over. So I guess we'll say that everyone who is being suppressed, are people who had an effect that the left doesn't like uh, in the past. So that's a problem. Uh, Let's see here. Hey, Steph, you're a breath of fresh air amidst everything going on. Thank you for going against the popular narratives. Well, you know, i got to tell you guys. um, Sorry, I thumped the mic there. I've got to tell you guys. I don't think I've ever really felt quite as alone, except for you lovely people. I don't think I've ever felt quite as alone with regards to standing for the truth as I have with this one. Man, it is something else. This uh, George Floyd one is uh, really, really something else. And of course, I think a lot of people who otherwise would have been pushing back against stuff, well, they just haven't been able to make it. They just haven't been able to get there and get to where I think people need to be with regards to this stuff, so I don't think i felt ever felt, again, the listenership, my, my, my relationship, my connection with you is what really, really matters in, in this conversation, but um, I will say that uh, with regards to other people in whatever alternative movement we can talk about, I don't think I've ever felt quite as isolated as I have with this George Floyd situation. Uh, everybody's taken a massive step back and this of course is the breach through which all of this stuff is rushing through. And uh I'm not uh, of course a big fan of that but we shall we shall see. Um cool dude says I really appreciate the time you take to upload your podcast. My wife and I listen to you on the road trip on a road trip today. Wow. <laughs> You're on a road trip. That's very good. Uh, D'Anton- d'artagnan says the truth on this one is rough been trying to get the message out to people in my life at least my family is on board for the truth uh, good, good I'm, uh, I'm pleased with that so Antifa is anti-white um, well I wouldn't say Antifa is anti-white in particular it's just that they're anti anti-communists and people who are, I mean who, who is it who votes for smaller government, who is it who supports free speech Who is it who wants economic freedom? Uh, This is, in general, white males. And so they're not attacking white females nearly as much. They're not attacking East Asians or blacks or Hispanics, all of whom in general, and Jews, of course, vastly vote for larger government as a whole. And so it's not so much that they're anti-white. They're anti-anti-communist. And the anti-communism tends to coalesce around... White males, for a wide variety of reasons, we can perhaps talk about tonight, if you want, of course, or we can talk about it another time but that 's that 's the key right that they 're not anti white in particular they 're anti free market anti small government anti free speech uh, they 're anti capitalist and white males tend to be very pro free market free speech, and that 's really what are we on the road to a civil war uh <laughs> Sorry, Count Otis, Uh, I hate to drag you on the bus when it's already in motion, but uh, this is a kind of urban combat at the moment. This is a form of guerrilla combat at the moment. It's highly organized. There are pallets of bricks being delivered at various staging areas. People are staging. uh, They're organizing these uh, events on social media. They're attacking the supply chain uh, at the moment. They are targeting cops. They are, uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, Uh, as far as... uh, (laughs) this stuff goes uh you you may you may want to you may want to catch up a little i'm afraid but uh, yeah that's that's already in and uh you know as as sort of predicted as i predicted of course uh it takes the form of uh, uh of, of a race war right of a race conflict racial conflict that is the reality uh that of course has been promised by the uh leftists uh, the communists the, the the race war was promised uh, over um, almost 100 years ago in the early 1920s and that's what has occurred and this is why sort of white supremacy and and pa- like white males right patriarchy plus white supremacy plus white nationalism is all designated to coalesce around people who are anti-communist and pro free market and that's why you see all of this stuff going out about you flatter white females and you attack white males. That's generally the way that things work. And feminism, of course. Feminism is one of these weird things where you get an enormous amount of disempowerment combined with an extraordinary amount of psychotic praise. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've ever been around people or someone who praises you excessively Uh, It really is off-putting. It really is an unpleasant experience. You can sort of feel these brain smoky tentacles trying to reach in through your ears and and take control of your brain. It's a form of semi-demonic, polysyllabic hijacking of your ego and will to be praised so enormously. And I remember being at a county fair some years ago with my daughter, and we went into one of these areas where, you know, like they have a hockey arena in these small towns And then they have, uh, when there's a fair on in the summer, they'll convert it to a sort of arts and crafts. You know, people sell uh, candles and earrings and bee honey and soaps and stuff like that. And one of them was um, there was this man and this woman, and they were like some girl power, female empowerment, blah, 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 blah. And they sort of marched up to my daughter, and they tried to put one of these uh, bracelets of of girl power on her uh, arm, and she just kind of recoiled (laughs) Like, get thee behind me. And, uh, you know, we were talking about it sort of afterwards, and I'm like, I I said, do you ever feel like not empowered? She's like, I don't even know what that means. And like, so I said, do you ever feel like there's things you can't do, or you're just a girl? And she's like, oh, heavens no. Like, of course not. I mean, why why would she? I mean, she certainly has the intelligence to do just about anything that she wants in her life. And of course, I've never said the things that you can't do and, and all that, right? So when people come up to you and say, we want to empower you, they're fundamentally telling you that you're disempowered to begin with. And you can see when you have a reasonable assessment of your own abilities, you you end up with a pretty stable personality structure. You don't tend to swing from extreme to extreme. And it's an old Simple mind song, you know, that don't you forget about me. And there's a great... I mean, it's not even a line really that and I remember thinking about it when it first came out, I think it was an eighties song, right? From uh, The Breakfast Club. He says, I won't harm you or touch your defenses, vanity, insecurity. And vanity and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. And so the more you praise people madly, the more you hollow out their genuine self-esteem and they become dependent upon your praise rather than their own achievements. There's no way to fake self-esteem. There's no way to fake an actual positive relationship with yourself. It's like someone telling you you're thin and healthy repeatedly doesn't make you thin and healthy because our bodies, are unconscious, our sense of identity are empirical. They're not language-based. And so if people praise you a lot that makes you lax and lazy with regard to the actual work that you need to do to gain genuine self-respect which is you know have moral courage and do the right thing and stand up against evil and praise and 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 support are good people for the good works that they do. So people who come in to praise you, they're drug dealers. They are trying to get you addicted to their praise and have you focus on needing their positive feedback rather than your own self-esteem. And this is why vanity and insecurity go hand in hand because vanity is when you're pumped up beyond your actual achievements and that makes you lazy and it makes you kind of worry deep down that you are becoming dependent on someone else rather than your own achievements. So the vanity which is appealed to breeds insecurity. Men have their own issues, of course. Men are highly susceptible to status and highly susceptible to, to, um, you know, the alpha chest-pounding stuff rather than the uh, alpha father-provide-and-protect stuff. So men are more susceptible to status, but women are highly susceptible to vanity. And that's how they kind of got in, right? So uh, feminism uh, has made women simultaneously... Uh, insanely empowered to the point where everyone thinks that they're Sid from Alias who can wander around giving people Sidalicious butt kickings at a moment's notice. So they have become ridiculously, quote, over-empowered. You know, this, uh, you're a goddess, you go girl, you seize the day, you're living your best life, everything's great, you're a woman here, you roar and blah, 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 right? And at the same time, of course, that they have been getting this weird helium skyscraping vanity that has no connection to anything in reality, they are simultaneously feeling more and more victimized and preyed upon and underpaid and disempowered and blah, 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 blah. And this is the same thing, right? They pump up your vanity and they pump up your insecurity and then you, uh, you are dependent, of course, on them, uh, whoever is praising you. So you really, really got to be careful. With people who praise you, I tend to shy away from people who give me excessive praise, because it is—I recognize—they're just offering up a drug that is going to do me harm. All right. So, no oh, sorry, let me turn off my watch here. Um, yeah, it's a, if I get a, a tweet, it's always like, "I hope no one famous retweeted me." <laughs> I hate to say, it, but it's kind of true. Uh, it's kind of true um trump's executive order on social media had very fortunate timing yeah it should have happened in the past you know like i i understand why people are criticizing trump and saying that you know while we were all out here dying in the undertow of endless social media suppression and deplatforming and uh, you know which is tough enough but uh, you know getting kicked off various payment processes and so on pretty harsh for people man you you got to be able to eat right and Trump didn't do smack about that until Twitter suppressed his tweet. And then it's like, hey, this is a real problem. We we should do something about this. And it's like, okay, so, you know, you get some of the narcissism with Trump, which helps him survive these endless attacks. and But you also get some of the, until it affects me, it's not really a big issue now, is it? So I think he left it a little bit late in the game, the idea that he's going to be able to do much meaningful stuff. Before um, November is... Well, it's kind of optimistic. Um, the, the legal system is a ridiculously slow entity to try and deal with. Please make a book list with your recommended books on your website. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. What do you think about the um, Republicans who want to see, uh, go with Black Lives Matter movement? Well, Black Lives Matter is uh, is funded by Soros. It's funded by the hard left for the most part. And uh, it's just a way of destabilizing um America of course, right so let's start with I mean uh, this this just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, you know I'm straight up frank with you right this this one hit me like a ton of bricks, and I suppose I could put it now this is going to be graphic, so um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I am sorry about that, but uh, nonetheless, this is kind of what's uh, what's been going on. so let me just uh, throw this up here. This uh, true hero, let me just move over a little bit here, because we'll do a little bit of uh... very, very pleased with my audio setup, by the way. I really, really worked hard on it, and it's coming along well. So if you haven't seen this, uh, I, you know I do warn you ahead of time that it is uh, pretty uh, pretty appalling. So um, this heroic man. This heroic man is um, was uh, horrifyingly, uh, appallingly uh, shot. His name uh, was Police Captain David Dorn. He's from St. Louis. 77-year-old retired police captain. was murdered by looters when he tried to protect a local shop. People who encouraged these riots, was it worth it? Did you get what you want? Sickening. And, you know, I, uh... so this guy became a cop in the 1960s. Of course, he faced obviously a fair amount of racism, I would imagine, back in the day. And he was just gunned down. He was retired. And he was helping out somebody whose uh, pawn shop, uh, a friend of his whose pawn shop was being attacked by looters and... He just got, um, I mean, he just got gunned down. 77-year-old guy, tries to save a city, suits up, so to so to speak, and uh, goes down to try and stop the bad guys, as men do, right? As men do. As men generally do. And what happened? Well, of course, we can see what happened. What happened was, and you, you, know, you know what happened with his wife, right? I mean, you, you know this kind of stuff, right? What happened was his wife probably said to him, Dave, you're 77 years old. You've done your time. This is not your fight. These are young punks full of bravado and bullets. So this is not... Your time, don't go down there. And he's like, he's got a sense of obligation. He's got a sense of duty, this guy. And he wanted to help his city. He wanted to help his friend. He wanted to help push back against the violence he had dedicated his whole life to attempting to control. I don't know much about this guy's career, but I do know that he strikes me as an old school kind of hero somebody who stood up against the mob. And what happened? He didn't listen to his wife, as we often don't, right, we men. We often don't listen to our wives, right? We do things that are courageous to the point of foolhardiness, right? So courage is a very, very difficult thing. Too little, you're a coward. Too much you're foolhardy and reckless. And you're like that, you know, that apple-cheeked young kid in every World War One movie who's so enthusiastic and so patriotic and then just goes over the barbed wire and gets completely ripped apart by Hun bullets. So, you know, this is a guy... I want you to think of just... You live on a street, right? You live on a street. And David Dorn moves in next door. On one side. On your left is David Dorn, and on your right... George Floyd moves in, the drug addict, the violent felon. Who are you going to want to lean over your backyard fence to have a chit-chat with? Who you were going to enjoy when they knock on the door and say, yeah, I'm a little bored, let's have a chat. I got nothing to do. What's on your mind, right? Sit down, have a great conversation. These absolute bastards! It's the first time I've sworn on Twitter. It's the first time I've sworn on Twitter. I uh, I don't mind a couple of couple of a bit of salty language. I don't mind. But they just fucking killed him. They just killed him. They just straight up looters just ran past him. I don't know what they're racist. The looters just straight up, ran past him, dropped a bullet in his skull, and kept going. And of course, the mainstream media, at least as far as I saw when I had started recording this, the mainstream media, they hadn't reported on this just david Dorn, no reports because he doesn't fit the narrative right and he was like he strikes me as sort of an old school thomas soul and and all of this kind of stuff that um he just seemed like a good guy and i could be over sentimentalizing i don't know the man obviously but i just this one really really hit me um This one really hit me. I don't know how you guys are feeling. Let me know. But um, this one did really hit me uh, really hard. And we're going to have to see how this plays out. Uh, Just terrible stuff. This is the story. During a night of violent protests and looting in St. Louis, David Dorn was shot and killed by looters at a porn shop in an incident that was captured on Facebook Live. It was streamed on Facebook Live. And this, this guy's got a wife. He's, he's got kids. He's got grandkids, I'm sure. And this is what they have to look at. They have to look at this guy dropped dead like a carcass on the floor. Bleeding. So Dorn, a retired police captain, was shot in the chest at around 2.30 a.m. and died in front of the shop, Lee's porn and jewelry. 77-year-old, was identified on Tuesday morning during a press conference by, ma- by the mayor and police chief. Hayden said Dawn was killed, quote, during a looting process. David Dawn was exercising law enforcement training that he learned here. Police are investigating the shooting, and there have been no arrests yet in connection with Dawn's death. Former St. Louis police chief Tim Fitch said on Twitter that Dawn was, quote, a true public servant, protecting and serving all the way to the end. None of us... Who knew you are surprised you went out fighting at Lee's Porn this morning? Godspeed, my friend. The incident was captured on Facebook. Live, Dorn's wife, Anne Marie Dorn, told St. Louis, St. Louis Post-Dispatch that he was friends with the owner of the porn shop. She said he worked with him and would go check on the property when the burglar alarms went off to make sure everything was okay. The outlet said she was too distraught to talk more about her husband. The incident was captured on Facebook Live since been removed. The person taking the video is in a car which pulls up to the sidewalk by the porn shop after the shooting takes place. The person then gets out of the vehicle and walks up to the victim saying, stay with me, stay with me. He then says, all for some TVs, man. For real? It's somebody's granddaddy. The Ethical Society of Police, who posted about Doran's death, told the Post-Dispatch that they were aware of the video. The state representative... Wrote on Facebook, I just seen a man die on live, man. SMH. He also told the outlet he was very traumatized right now. Dawn worked as a St. Louis police officer for 38 years before retiring in 2007. A tweet from the Ethical Society of the Police said, One of the people murdered last night was a retired St. Louis City captain. He was murdered by looters at a pawn shop. He was the type of brother that would have given his life to save them if he had to. Violence is not the answer. Whether it's a citizen or officer, R.I.P. captain. He started in the 60s as a rookie patrol officer before rising up the ranks and becoming a captain. Dawn also served as the deputy commander of the Bureau of Patrol Support overseeing patrols, a tactical unit, and commercial vehicles. Dawn's wife still works for the police department. He said Dawn was a fine captain, and many of us, the other officers, looked up to him. him. Dawn was well liked, very pleasant, and his wife still works there. So a very sad time for our agency. We will honor him. Now, I just wanted to mention, and I, I hope you guys are not ever in this situation. I really do. I really hope that you're not ever in this situation, but if you are, please, my friends, do me a favor. If you come up to somebody who's uh, been shot and he's lying, gasping and choking in a pool of his own blood, please stop filming. Please stop filming. Kneel down beside that person. Take his hand and tell him he's going to be all right. Tell him it's not so bad. Lie to him if you have to. Hold his hand and have a human-to-human contact as he slips into the great beyond. Okay? Don't fucking stream his death to Facebook Live. Kneel down and hold his hand and be with him in his moment of death as we would all want someone to kneel with us and hold our hand as we slip into that, whatever that is. That's not streaming stuff, man. That's human-to-human contact that, that people who are dying desperately need. Have you people never seen any fucking war movies? You don't GoPro that, people. You just don't. You just don't. just don't. CBS News. Absolute human garbage. Absolute race baiting human garbage. And this is the kind of stuff like I was talking about this last night, right? How people get killed for this kind of stuff. Excuse me. White bar owner in Omaha shot and killed by a black protester. He won't face charges. Wow, that sounds really bad now, doesn't it? Doesn't that just sound terrible? That he won't even face charges? And I'm sorry, I don't know, for some reason I can't scroll this thing. I'm supposed to be able to, but... I can't scroll it at the moment. A page down or anything? No, hang on a sec. So, these pieces of human excrement... Uh, I will tell you what the real story is. During protests, like, look at the title. A white bar owner in Omaha shot and killed a black protester. He won't face charges. Sophie fucking Lewis. Sounds terrible, right? He was just shot and killed a black protester out of nowhere. He's not even going to face charges because everything's so goddamn racist, right? Ah, oh, well, well, that's... Now, I see here we've gone from you can't see this. You've gone from protester down here. Suddenly, he's an activist. During protests in Omaha, Nebraska, over the weekend, a black activist was shot and killed by a white bar owner after a fight broke out. The county attorney said the shooter will not face charges because he was, quote, defending himself. Defending himself. The Douglas County Attorney's Office determined Gardner acted in self-defense after interviewing the shooter and reviewing videos of the incident. There was a consensus that the actions of the shooter were justified, County Attorney Don Klein says there wasn't any big disagreement about what happened here. According to prosecutors, the incident followed an altercation involving Gardner's father, who pushed several protesters when asking them to leave the bar. A grainy surveillance video of the shooting played during the briefing shows Gardner Gardner backed up and pointed a gun after two people tackled him in the street. He initially fired two shots in the air that did not hit anyone. After Skurlock jumped on his back, Gardner could be heard saying, Get off me many times before fatally shooting Skurlock once in the clavicle. Klein said, Mr. Gardner, as we now know, has said, I did what I did to defend myself, and we find that we can't disprove that from the evidence that we have. In response to outrage on social media, Klein added that there was not any racial tone to the conversations between Skirlik and Gardner. Jesus, H. Jesus, H. There's a video. They're asking these people to leave. There's violence. This guy is getting gang-beaten. He shoots in the air. He screams, get off me. And then he finally shoots because he's got to save his own life from this thug. So it was not a black protester. It wasn't even a black activist. It was a violent black criminal and his gang who had beaten up this white guy who shot in the air, screamed for them to get off him, and finally, to save his own life, shot a guy. CBSU's you are race-baiting pieces of human garbage. I'm just telling you that. Straight fucking up. You are just absolutely horrible and horrifying human beings and you're going to get people killed out there with this kind of shit. And you're sitting in your comfy little goddamn offices sipping your lattes and typing away with all of the glee of low-rent tyrannosaurus sociopaths. I can't even tell you. like, You know what it's like? You ever have this this stupid... It's a stupid example, and I apologize for it straight up, but you ever have this when you're a kid like uh you build something you build something that's beautiful right you build something that's the that, that means something that's beautiful, whether it's a sand castle or a beautiful Lego structure or a house of cards or a domino tilt over set or something like that you 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 try and build something beautiful right and um You know how it goes a lot of times. You know how it goes. Um, Someone just comes along and smashes it down. So there are those of us out here, like we're really working hard as hell to try and bring some peace and some sanity to this situation. We really are working hard as hell to try and get some peace and sanity to this situation. And then you get CBS fucking news coming along and just kicking the whole goddamn Sandcastle down. And for what? A couple of clips, clicks, a couple of outrage, sell some goddamn ads, make a couple of pennies. Just absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. I'm working my very best, as are you, I'm sure, my good friends. I'm working my very best to try and have people reason with each other. will they? Well, we might have a bit of a chance if it wasn't for all of this, right? 2013, murder of blacks and whites in the U.S. 2013 per one million members of the murderer's race. Whites killed by blacks. 9.83. Blacks killed by whites, 0.77. Whites killed by whites, 10.22. Blacks killed by blacks, 53.94. So the very lowest number here is blacks killed by whites. Whites killed by blacks, vastly outnumber Blacks killed by whites. And the sources are right there, 2013 FBI crime report. Whites killed by blacks, 9.83 per million. Blacks killed by whites, 0.77. Whites killed by whites, 10.22. Blacks killed by blacks, 53.94. This very tiny number down here, the very smallest number below one, when none of them are below nine, one of them's over 50. 0.77. That's what Black Lives Matter is all about. That's what the media is hysterical about. This is the bullshit Marxist race baiting propaganda that's being pushed forward. You tell me we live in any kind of rational, sane universe where people look at facts and try to make conclusions to help people. And some of these attacks are are just horrendous. I mean, you've seen them, right? You've seen them. Some of these are acts. And there is, of course, a lot of racial hatred that's out there at the moment. A lot of racial hatred. And a lot of that racial hatred is blacks attacking whites. You know, whether we, uh, we would like it to not be the case, but a lot of these attacks are pretty significant and pretty horrifying. And we have seen, of course, people attack cars, and then the cars drive away in a panic. We see these kinds of attacks, these racial attacks, race hatred attacks. this guy's down. And the police are being held back. And this is going to scar people and this is going to frighten people and this is going to make people angry. And this is how things are going to play out unless we can calm our tits and find some way for us all to reason together. I genuinely hope that this is not too late. I genuinely hope that we can. But I don't know. I don't know. Scott Adams Who's well worth following on Twitter and his books I recommend? He had an interesting tweet. He said, like coronavirus or George Floyd, George Floyd's situation has a second wave coming because the CNN reports the police, quote, restraining Floyd, were discussing what position to keep him in to prevent sudden death. No real chance of convicting the other three cops if that reporting holds up. So that is one of the big challenges that the prosecution is going to face in this situation. So let's talk about, again, why there are the riots. So one of my big tweets today was stop funding Marxists in university. Of course. I mean, it's absolutely appalling. This is one of the first civilizations in human history where people have been forced to fund their own demise, their own destruction. And there is, of course, a lot of confusion about how this is going on, right? So this guy, Snake Chet pliskin I guess that's a reference to the old Kurt Russell movie. He said, What I've never understood is how an idea so stupid in both concept and practice is still regularly able to lure thousands of supposedly intelligent college professors to foolishly subscribe to its insanity. Why does a forced but ineffective equality thrill people so much? So I wrote back and I said --A communism is for people too traumatized to grow up." So I will I'm going close this down here for a second I will tell you in a very graceful, redistributionist manner here uh, I will tell you where communism comes from and why it's so appealing. People, despite the fact that you know communism has killed a hundred million people over the course of the past century or so, Uh, despite the fact that it has been roundly and completely discredited and dismissed by. Ludwig von Mises, Murray Rothbard, Milton Friedman. Frankly, a lot of Jewish people. For those of you who were like, well, Jews are all communists. It's like, no, no, no. There's, a, Of course, there's some Jews in communism, and there's some Jews in anti-communism. Ayn Rand, of course, a very famous anti-communist that Christians mocked and scorned, by the way. And helped to discredit. Whitaker Chambers, among them, gave an absolutely savage review of Atlas Shrugged. So how is it that so communism why does it why is it compelling to people why do they why do they care why do they why does it say why does it speak to people so much so when something is universal but anti-rational like communism you have to look at the emotional ties the emotional roots that drive people towards it where does it come from so if you look at the family what is the family well the family has authority figures known as the parents who provide resources based upon need. It's from each according to their ability, which is the parents going out and making money and running the dishwasher and all that kind of stuff. So it's from each according to their ability, to each according to their need. But that is the relationship between parents and children. Children look to the parent to provide them resources and in return the parent expects some sort of compliance and obedience from the child. If the child fails to provide that compliance or obedience, the child gets hit, or the child is locked in his room, or the child is um, uh, uh, is uh, no food is given to the child, or the parents withdraw or they're cold towards the child. In other words, the parents escalate threats until the child complies. Now that's natural. That's healthy. That's why I'm not saying that the punishment and all of that, but that relationship from each according to their ability to each according to their need, that is a natural and healthy aspect of parenting. You don't sit there to your toddler and say, well, it's time to earn your keep, kid, (laughs) right? I mean, you, you provide to your children because you are the elder and they are helpless and needy and dependent. And you do expect a certain amount of conformity. And of course, because I promote peaceful parenting, that conformity should be along the lines of reasoning with your child, of restraining your child where necessary, and not in yelling, hitting, beating, threatening, or anything like that. But if you have a traumatized childhood, see, trauma, what it does is it freezes people in time. It freezes people in time. So if you are 12 and you experience some horrible traumatic incident, perhaps you are beaten within an inch of your life, perhaps you are raped or extremely neglected, then what happens is your emotional development tends to freeze at that particular time. You can't continue to grow. The same thing happens with addiction. So when people get addicted... They use use their addiction as a way of avoiding their emotional state or their emotional trauma. And so what happens then is because they use their addiction as a way of self-medicating their way out of dealing with their emotional trauma, they cease to grow as human beings. Which is why you do see a lot of people who are addicts in their 30s and 40s who are still trying to live lives as teenagers and early 20s because your emotional development stops with unprocessed trauma, and with all of the mechanisms that you put in place to try to avoid all of that unprocessed trauma. Now of course it's beneficial for you to process the trauma, but it's not beneficial to the people who abused you. So if you were, say, raped by a parent, abused by a parent, let's say it was your father, Then your father doesn't want you to process that trauma because if you do process that trauma, let's say he raped you, well, then you might go to the cops and then he might go to jail where he might die. Yes, you know, pedophiles don't do that well in prison for reasons that are pretty obvious that a lot of people in prison are there because they were raped as children and either did not or could not process the trauma. So it's to your benefit to process the trauma, but it's to your abuser's benefit that you don't, that you act out, right? Especially what happens is if you are an abuser, what you want to do is break the will of your victim and so that you can call your victim a failure and then blame everything that goes bad in your victim's life on the victim, which keeps them distracted and self-obsessed and insecure to the point where they never really get round to circling back and confronting you for the abuse that you perpetrated upon them. So the whole point of childhood is it's a stage that's supposed to be outgrown, but the way that you outgrow childhood is you get your needs met, right? You get your needs met. Your needs are met when you're young, so you gain a secure bond. You get breastfed. You get cuddled. You get held. You get played with. People take delight in your existence. They enjoy your company. They look forward to seeing you. They hug you. And you grow up certain of your bond with your parents you're not yelled at you're not insulted you're not hit you're not thrown into some ghetto of a public school to wend your way among the lord of the the lord of the flies lowest common denominator sociopathy of your average brightly lit well-painted classroom you get your needs met and when you get your needs met you can move on to the next stage if your needs are not met then you get angry you get hurt you get frustrated you get fearful but you can't process that as a kid because you have to bond with your parents. All of the kids who openly challenged abusive or neglectful parents throughout most of human history were simply abandoned. <laughs> they just like, ah, oh, you're too much trouble. Or they weren't given enough food. Or they weren't scooped up when the wolves came calling because they were snacky. So we're all ingrained to please our parents. We have to please our parents because our parents are the source of our food. You know, if you've got, if you're trapped in some gulag or some prison, you have to have the guards like you. Because if the guards dislike you, they just might not bring you enough food. That might not kill you. They might just underfeed you. But if you get sick, you won't have enough strength to fight it. Like it's, you have to, right? And people have authority and power over you. You have to find a way to please them if they're not affectionate towards you already. So you bond with your abusers. You internalize the abusers. So that you don't trigger them, right? So I internalized my mother, who was a very volatile, dangerous, and violent woman. I internalized her so that my internal mom would stop me from doing stuff that would trigger my external mom, and that's the best way to survive. Then you kind of got to deal with that later, but, you know, you kind of just suck it up and deal with the war that you're in as a child at the time. Now... You get stuck there. You get stuck there. So if you can't ever outgrow your childhood, you will forever be in search of an authority figure who provides for you and punishes you. Because the provision and the punishment for most families tend to go hand in hand. And generally, since I talked about IQ yesterday, the higher IQ families spank and punish less and the lower IQ families spank and punish more. So most people's relationship to the state is very conditioned upon their relationship to their parents, often their father, but can sometimes be their mother. depends if they're a single mother, of course, and that generally is the case because she is both nurturer and disciplinarian which is a complex role for any human being to fulfill. And we know in general that single moms are very bad at raising children, particularly boys. See, apparently no woman can think of being a scientist without lots of female mentors, but apparently boys can just learn how to be men without fathers. No problem. So if you have unmet needs from childhood, then you will always and forever be looking for a substitute family that is going to do the right thing And then you'll never have to grow up. You'll never have to deal with the trauma. You'll never have to confront the people who harmed you, your parents, which we are strongly, strongly programmed to avoid doing. It's a very, very tough thing to do, to sit down as an adult and confront, or as a child, it's virtually impossible. But as an adult, it's very hard. Certainly one of the hardest things I ever did in my life was sit down and confront my mother about her abuse of me when I was a child. And have three or so conversations and then one more after that some time, and uh, it's a very, very hard thing to do. It goes very much against the grain. It's a very difficult thing to do. But it's essential, because that's how you grow up, is you live in truth, you live in reality. So communism is for people who haven't grown up. And this sounds like, oh, just grow up and... No, I mean, I really sympathize with the trauma. When you think of people like uh, the Antifa fellows, right? I mean, they've got weird piercings and sleeve tattoos and weird hair and, you know, thousand yard stares and you name it, right? I mean, just think of what kind of childhoods those people have had that they end up with such psychotic rage, such sociopathy, such an inability to connect with anyone real. And they think it's all about the state, but they're little kids, basically. They're like teenagers, early 20s. They haven't even remotely grown up to the point where they can look at the state as anything other than a substitute for parental figures. And this idea they hate the state, they wish to destroy the state, they wish to kill the state, this matricide and fratricide writ large. They just want to kill their parents and they're substituting the state because it's too emotionally traumatic for them to look at the anger that they have towards their parents. The parents who abandoned them, Maybe, and a lot of them come from rich families, right? These Antifa guys, they come from rich families. So what's going on? Well, it's pretty clear. I had the, um, I suppose, honor of working in a daycare for years when I was in my teenage years, and uh, I actually got out of school for half an hour early every day because I had to get on two buses to get to the daycare job that I had, and I worked there all summers, and I worked there for a couple of years, had a great relationship with the kids. Uh, I loved them. They were very keen on me, and uh, I remember when they finally got a hold of my phone number and just called me day and night and all that. It was really, it was kind of sweet, but so... In the daycare, though, it was pretty clear that it was tough on the kids, right? I mean, they wanted to be with their parents. They didn't want to be in some daycare for hours and hours, right? So for the rich kids, why do they hate capitalism? Because capitalism stole their parents, right? This is sort of primitive mechanism that's going on in their minds, right? Why, why would they hate capitalism so much? Well, of course, you know, on their phones, lattes, Starbucks, blah, blah, blah. The cliches are pretty obvious and pretty, pretty predictable, Right. So why would they hate their parents so much? So why would they hate capitalism so much? Because their parents dumped them in daycares and ignored them and put them in summer school so the parents could go and work. In other words, um, capitalism stole mommy. Capitalism stole daddy. I hate capitalism. If I kill capitalism, then mommy and daddy won't have to go to work all the time and kids won't have to suffer through what I suffered through. In other words, if you have Trauma in your family history, it is almost impossible for you to see society as an adult. Everything becomes it's about your family it's about your history and that's really important and and if you look at the sort of the 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 little kid view of the family in, in sort of traditional family structures right the parents provide things, and the kid doesn't really know or have any clue where the money comes from. They're just, you know, stuff happens and there's money, right? And that's the communist or socialist relationship to the state. You know, the government just has money, and and the government should just spend money. The government, you know, mommy and daddy is supposed to provide me with health care. So when I'm an adult, given that the state is mommy and daddy, of course, it feels perfectly true that the state should provide you with health care. Mommy and Daddy are supposed to provide me with education. So, of course, I should get free student loans to go to college. Mommy and Daddy expect compliance. And if I don't comply, I will get hit or I will get grounded. Well, that's police and prisons, right? You understand how this all just fits together, right? And people in the government instinctively recognize this. this is why they continually promote policies that traumatize children, which is why if we talk about these riots, you know where a lot of these kids are coming from. They're coming from these ghetto households where nobody may have seen a job application for three or four generations because of the welfare state. The welfare state pays a single mother the equivalent of seventy dollars to $75,000 a year U.S., to have a couple kids. And what I mean by that is to earn the equivalent of the benefits that she gets, and the benefits are legion and widespread and multifaceted. It's called the welfare trap. I've got a whole video on it. You can look for it on my channel. Well, you probably can't find it, but you know, find some way, <laughs> You know, go outside of YouTube and look for it. But the welfare trap is how much money would the woman have to earn in order to match the benefits she's getting? Or another way of putting it is, how much does she have to make before the effective tax rate taxation rate is not one hundred percent? And the reality is that if she's got two kids, she has to earn seventy to seventy-five thousand dollars just to match the benefits she gets. and And the benefits are contingent upon there not being a man in the house and not being a husband, not being a father in the household. Which is why, and some of the abonics, uh, uh, the the uh, welfare, so the public housing, Section Eight housing is referred to as girlfriend farms. Can't move in, or if you can move in, you gotta like leave no trace and all that. Can't have a man around because you never know when the social worker's gonna come by and blah blah blah, right? So, pay women who usually aren't super smart. Like, the average kid in a middle class household hears about 2,500 different words a day, the average kid in a welfare household hears about 600 words a day. They're not doing a lot of extra parenting when they're home at that particular time, that particular situation. Because the kids are a methodology for getting money. It's not that they take joy in their kids' presence. I mean, some do, of course. I'm I'm, I'm very much generalizing here, but there's definitely a, tr- a pattern there. So you set up the welfare state, which undermines and destroys the family. Kids grow up without fathers. And... You then have these terrible government schools where the kids are taught very early about hypersexual topics, and you have six-, seven-, eight-year-olds learning about creepy stuff like anal sex and all that and just really gross stuff that stimulates our selected behavior, this rabbit-rather-than-wolf behavior, and promiscuity then erupts among the girls who are looking for a father figure or finding some way to attach a man to them. And, of course, when we grow up without fathers... Our biology is programmed for an unstable universe because why are there no fathers? Well, because there's war, there's famine, there's plague, there's pestilence. The men are all hunting some dangerous animal that's taken them down on a regular basis. That's why there aren't fathers around. So in a reproductive situation, the reproductive strategy for an unstable situation socially is to have as many children as possible, pay very little attention to each one of them, and just see who grows up and makes it. That's called R-selected, right? There's a bunch of rabbits and and, uh, toads and frogs and all of that. They all just have a whole bunch of kids and good luck, kid. That's R-selected. And K-selected is the apex predators in general. They they have fewer, the the owls, the... um, the lions, the wolves, and so on. they are fewer kids, but they invest in their kids and they train their kids and so on they don't just because they're more in control of their situation. Life is pretty chaotic for a mouse. It's not so chaotic for a wolf. It's more predictable, more controllable. So you put in all of this chaos. You put in all of this propaganda about how men are dangerous and women are victimized and, and, and all of that. And then you also pump up women's expectations to the point where they can't ever be satisfied with a man because they're strong, powerful goddesses, and you, you hide from them the inevitable decline in egg quality. 90% of eggs are gone by the time a woman's 30, 98% by the time she's 40, and you just push off the wall, you push off the decay of her fertility and beauty to the point where she ends up having to scrabble around the used, crappy used car lot salesmen, men broken, divorced, <laughs> destroyed by family courts in their 30s. You just end up with kids having pretty terrible childhoods. Neglected, abused, abandoned, betrayed, traumatized in school, your bad childhoods. So then you prevent the emotional development from happening for children, and then they grow up utterly dependent upon the fantasy of the state as the perfect parent. And you the state will provide for you. And if you don't obey the state, you get thrown in prison, which is being sent to your room. Or you get punished, which is violence from the cops. This is the reality of how these things come about. From each according to their ability, to each according to their need. That is the reality. So that's why I said communism is for people too traumatized to grow up. Somebody said, Steph, I'm curious what your thoughts are. What do you think comes next? And I wrote back, delusions give birth to violence. Violence shatters delusions. Cycle of status history. So when we are deluded, we're not in reality. We're not meeting in the real world. We're not meeting in facts. And when we're not in the real world, we can't negotiate with each other. It's like trying to negotiate with somebody who's taken your family hostage. They only speak Japanese and you only speak Klingon. You can't can't negotiate because you're not meeting in the same reality, language-wise. So delusions, when we're taught things that aren't true, it gives birth to violence, and then what happens is the violence shatters delusions. So one, you know, one of the central tenets of Marxism is that people commit crime because they're poor. People commit crime because they're poor, you see. Um, this is not true. I mean, it's not even close to true, and it's not even easy to disprove. The children of the poorest whites commit less crime than the children of the richest blacks in America. And the Appalachians, very, very poor section of America, has a pretty low crime rate. The country tends to be relatively poor, has a very low crime rate. During the 1930s in America, there was a Great Depression. Surely crime rates should have gone up because people got so desperately poor. But it didn't. It's not a lack of money that causes crime, but because there's this idea that crime is born out of poverty, what's happened is the West has thrown trillions of dollars over the past 50, 60 years into poor communities, right, in subsidies, in in welfare, in SNAP payments, in in even the redistributionist income that comes out of forcing men to pay for even children that aren't theirs, right, because they've been cucked by the woman, right? So you, you open up this massive floodgates of welfare spending, of social redistributionist spending, and then you say, well, gosh, that's got to solve the problem of crime. I mean, when communism came into being, socialism came into being, well, GDP was, what, like 1% or 2% what it is now? And they just thought, well, we just have to redistribute income based upon the size of the economy 100 plus years ago, and now that the amount of money that is taken from the wealthy and given to the poor is 50 times or 100 times more than socialists would have ever imagined being able to provide in the past, because they didn't know how wealthy the world was going to get, or at least how indebted. So if you've got something which says, oh, this will cure this, and you get 50 or 100 times whatever you think will cure it, and it doesn't get cured. Well, clearly that's the wrong approach. And the reality is it's not that poverty causes crime. The reality is it's crime that causes poverty. So when there's crime, people get traumatized. When there's crime, people don't want to get stuff or make stuff or keep stuff. They don't want to build businesses. And this is going to be the horrifying outcome of all of this, that the poorest communities are going to be hit the hardest by these riots. And the people who've spent their lifetime building up businesses in the face of often insurmountable odds well, they're going to lose hope. They're going to lose their businesses. No, it's, and this is, I've got shows on this. I can link to one below. It's uh, very well documented that it is, uh, it is crime that causes poverty. So a couple other points. George Floyd was driving a car while high on fentanyl, which is 100 times or at least up to 100 times more powerful or potent than morphine. George Floyd could very well have killed people, including his passengers. See, nobody ever talks about the two other blacks, a man and a woman, I think, who were in the car with George Floyd. Arrested, no problem. Arrested, no problem. They weren't, right. Let's get to a couple of other notes here that I have from <laughs> from the day. It's, uh, it's hard, you know. It's hard. This is a tweet I got from someone in the United States. Black males kill police officers 18.5 times more often than police officers kill unarmed black males. Proportionally more white people are killed in arrests for violent crime than blacks, and studies show police actually have a pro-black bias. Blacks kill whites 11 times more than whites kill blacks and commit violent crimes against whites 45 times more than vice versa when adjusted for population. These are the facts as they have been reported. I won't get into details about this. The Minneapolis Police Department Policy and Procedures Manual defines a neck restraint as a non-deadly force option. The handbook reads, and I quote, defined as compressing one or both sides of a person's neck with an arm or leg without applying direct pressure to the trachea or airway front of the neck. Only sworn employees who have received training from MPD training unit are authorized to use neck restraints. Well, that's kind of important, right? That's kind of important. So, you can't apply direct pressure to the trachea or airway, which is the front of the neck. Well, that didn't happen with George Floyd. The police officer had his knee on the back and the shoulder. So, the, the book has two types of neck restraints the Policy and Procedure Manual, Minneapolis. Conscious neck restraint the subject is placed in a neck restraint with intent to control and not to render the subject unconscious by only applying light to moderate pressure, or unconscious neck restraint, the subject is placed in the neck restraint with the intention of rendering the person unconscious by applying adequate pressure. Of course, we will find all about this as we go forward. We will find out all about this as we go forward during the course of the trial. And as I've said before, and I'll say again, it certainly is possible that the police are to blame. It may be the case that the police officer is to blame. I'm certainly not discounting that possibility because I ain't running a courtroom. I don't know. I don't know. We will see. We will find out. Now, again, sorry, because I can't scroll here, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. All right, so let's roll over here a little bit. Oh, a little bit more. I should get everything on a rail here or something, right? Let's see if we can get down here or anything. Oh, wrong one. Oh, I direct. So, yeah, this is the graphic images. Um, So this is the struggle between George Floyd and the police officers inside the vehicle. So... That's kind, of, uh, that's kind of important, right? Because he was really struggling and resisting. And that is kind of a big deal. So he didn't want to get into the car because he claimed claustrophobia. So I don't know how this is going to play out. But that is uh, I, it's a very real thing that happened there. Uh, They're really having trouble with this guy. He's giving them a lot of pushback and a lot of fighting. And, again, we'll find out as things go forward. And um, so people said, well, he didn't resist. It's like, well, no, that's, that's not true. He did. He did resist. Now, here's another one that's very interesting as well. And this probably, well, we'll see. We'll find out if this is going to be visible or not. But uh, let's have a look here. All right. Can we get this uh, zoomed up a little here? Yes, we can. Okay. So this is, you know, it's horrible to watch this stuff. I get that. But if you look down here, I guess you can't really see my mouse. Look down at the bottom left. Of George Floyd when he's up against the wall here. He's lifting up, he's trying to grab something out. Hang on, let's go back here a little, sorry. Are you coming back? Are you coming back? Let's find out. Hang on, let's try it again. All right. It does not seem to be coming back. Let's see, is it going here? Can I refresh? Let's try refreshing. Sorry about this. It kind of came and went. So what's uh, showing up here, or at least was what what was showing up here? I don't know why it's not coming back here. All right, let me try. I'll try going to another website and coming back because it's kind of important to see. And I'm sorry if it's a little bit a uh, little bit detailed here. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to the most important website on the internet, and then we will come back. Who is that handsome devil? I must find him. All right, let's try that again. Okay, so here, this is uh, George Floyd. He's uh, this is from a restaurant, so he's out of the car. And he's up against the wall here and zooming in a little down here. So if you look down where his arm is, just around where the uh, bottom of the restaurant is, the white wall down there, see that little packet there, that little white dot? Okay, so that is something that he appears to have dropped because it doesn't seem to show up earlier. And then, you see, he drops it right there. And it's a small, it looks like a small white packet, and we'll find out. Of course, what that is, maybe it was grabbed, maybe it was seen, maybe it wasn't, but the standard narrative would be, of course, that that's a small packet of some sort of drugs, possibly cocaine, possibly something else, and um, we'll again see what uh, what effect that may have had, what might have happened. And, yeah, I mean, the, guys had, the guy, uh, George Floyd, had prior assault, home invasion, drug possession, selling drugs, illegal weapons possession, gun theft, and trespassing, just to name a few. He had a home invasion where he and his gang pointed a gun at a woman's stomach while his friends ransacked the place, but his family described him as a gentle giant, Uh, says someone. And, of course, the police would probably have brought up his rap sheet uh, if they knew who he was, and I think that one of the officers did because they worked together in security. So home invasion, robbery, threatening deadly force, and that's not good, right? That's not good at all. So, all right, that's, that's sort of a, let's take ourselves away from this uh, the gruesome uh, history that has resulted in so much, uh, so much horrifying damage. And let's get to you, my friends. Let's get to you. I would like to be here for you as best I can. If there's something helpful that philosophy can bring to you in this situation, I would very much like to help. If I can, any questions, comments, issues, anything you'd like to share? Um, You think Hong Kong was free, what was until now, the closest we had of true capitalism? It ranked number one on Heritage's Freedom Index. Yes, and for more on that, you can see my documentary at freedomain.com. You just click on the documentaries tab, it's right there. So yes, I went into the great detail about that. Do you think it is ironic that America is experiencing a significant glimpse of what it deals to foreign nations like Iraq? Uh, Yes, I think it is uh, something. There is a brutality that is involved in imperialism that starts overseas and then creeps back homewards for sure. Floyd died of an overdose, period. Mm, See, that's... That's the big challenge. We don't know yet. We don't know, right? So the um, one of the coroners said that it was a, a homicide, which means that it was the death caused by another human being. And these are all, you know, challenging questions. The eggshell theory doesn't apply. Like it applies in civil cases as far as I understand it. I don't think it really applies when you're arresting someone because you can't be psychic. I mean, he was a big, strong, he didn't look overweight, he's muscular. Um, so George Floyd was someone who you wouldn't... You know, Eric Garner, like, was a big, fat guy, to, right? So you wouldn't necessarily think that George Floyd would be somebody who would have, you know, this heart disease, hypertension, and so on. And and I did get corrected, and I think it's a reasonable correction, that uh, I shouldn't refer to it as a heart attack, but cardiac arrest, which I understand is, is somewhat different. But what he died of, we don't know. We don't know. If... Somebody is high on drugs and resisting arrest and they get into an altercation and they've got a weak heart and it's stressful and their heart is pounding and they're terrified because at this point, I mean, look, please understand, George Floyd was completely screwed in this encounter. I mean, he had a long rap sheet going back, right? He was driving while on fentanyl. It's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. He had uh, drugs in his system. If the little packet that he dropped turns out to be some other kind of drug, it looked like a fair amount. That could be enough for intent to distribute. I mean, he was done, man. He was toast. This was like the worst day of his adult life. He was going down. That, lengthy rap his, uh, that length of a rap history, level of criminality, driving under the influence, high on fentanyl, Dropping drugs on the street, if that's what it was. Probably was. It looks like it was. I mean, he was going away. And, you know, the way that they work these kinds of people is they say, okay, well, we'll give you a reduced sentence, but you got to snitch up the chain, right? You got to say where you got these drugs from. You got to say who your dealer was, who, you know, you got to get all of this stuff going on, right? So, in his drugged and befuddled state of course i mean he's 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 certainly coherent enough as it appears to throw the drugs away that he's got on him right but he can't hide that he's high and they're going to go and take him and they're going to go they knew right they called him they called the ambulance pretty quickly into the they didn't wait till he was half dead to call the ambulance the ambulance was on its way and they were discussing like oh this guy's going through some kind of medical distress should we turn him on his side should we keep him on his front blah 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 right i don't know I don't know, they could have thought he had coronavirus, for all I know, and that he was contagious. Maybe that's why they kept him face down. But why was he on the ground? Because he wouldn't get into the car, because he fought, he pushed back, and he's a big guy, six foot six, this guy was huge. It's not easy to manhandle people like that. But for sure, he was going through an extraordinarily stressful time. And like this moment where he's like, "Oh man, I just I'm 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 high. I'm driving. I've got drugs on me." Who knows what the relationship was, or what might have been occurring with the people in the car? Maybe he was not supposed to spend time around criminals. Maybe they had a his. I don't know. But this was an absolutely horrible, wretched, terrible time, terrible moment. And his heart was pounding, and he was like, "I'm screwed." And Again, this is similar to the Ahmad Arbery situation, in that Ahmad Arbery was now it's going to be his third strike right after the gun charge, after the shoplifting charge, and it was just one bad decision after the other, what killed him? You say, ah, well, if he hadn't been arrested, he wouldn't have died. Sure, that's certainly possible. Maybe he would have crashed into a, a, a schoolyard on the way home because he was so high. I mean, fentanyl is pretty powerful stuff, right? When you hear these things about fentanyl coming across the border, it's like, oh, there was so much fentanyl, it could have killed half of Idaho. So, yeah, his heart's pounding. He's, he's doomed. He's, like, his stomach is dropping in, in horror about his life to go because he's been in jail before, but he was in jail when he was a younger man in his 30s. Now he's in his late 40s. It's a different world in your late 40s. And maybe that stress of realizing... What was going to happen to him? Maybe that blew his ticker. But we'll find out. You know, I'm, I'm horrified that there's video, but I'm thankful that there's video. Because they can see where the knee is, they can see if it was a legal maneuver. And of course, if it was a legal, legal maneuver, then they're going to have a tough time with that, right? All right hundred and sixteen pounds of fentanyl confiscated arrived at the border could have killed twenty five million as I recall says Rakausa. yeah, 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 why am I getting zero search results for David Dom on Google? I don't think because that's not uh that's not particularly his name <laughs> uh just just so you know, and please um. David Dorn, D-O-R-N, hashtag David Dorn. Please try and get it tw- trending. Please try and get it uh, trending. The David Dorn, R-I-P David Dorn. It's trending in Canada. I hope it will trend where you are as well. But hashtag David, D-O-R-N, David Dorn. Please try and get it going. Robo B says, I'm surrounded by people who only consume fake news. It feels like being in prison. Well, go, to, go watch the hoaxed movie and watch me in the last 15 minutes. Uh, I tell you all about it. I tell you all about it. Is anyone else, Wojak says, is anyone else sick and tired of all the anti-truths and outright lies being spread by the media? Yeah. The media is the matrix, right? The media is the, media is the most responsible. There's never, there's never going to be any doubt in the future about whether the pen is mightier than the sword, because entire countries have been taken over by media lies. Entire countries are being invaded, the population displaced, by media lies. Just terrible. I wonder what freedoms will be curtailed this time. don't know. I don't know. Stephen, please read Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement website. The rioters explain their intentions in detail. Stated goal liberate America from oppression by overthrowing the USA and corporations. Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement website. All right. I guess you can look at that. I will try and have a look at that. Hi, Steph, what can a young right-wing woman in America do now? I see my country burning before my eyes. I'll find a man, move to the country, get married, have babies. <laughs> can't, can't let evil take away the joys of life, right? Coked out and stress-induced high blood pressure equals bye-bye heart. Well, and of course, people do say that you can have cardiac arrest from not having your air, Right? For sure. And we shall, uh, we shall see. We shall see. Um, I did sort of put this out today. I'm just seeing if I can um, find it. It was like a sort of one of my bigger tweets today. Oh, yeah, so George Floyd, right? This is George Floyd. On fentanyl, heart disease, used meth, hypertension, cocaine addict, having a heart attack, resisted arrest, refused to get in the car, ambulance called, restrained, dangerous due to fentanyl, dies. Now, this is all factual. You know, whether it's heart attack or cardiac arrest, I'll leave that to the experts to, to quibble over, but I've certainly seen it referred to both ways, and so these are, um, well, these are just plain facts, right? Just plain, straight up facts. I'm going to throw them up here, you know, I'm going to throw them up here so people can see. All right. So, that's, that's you, so you can see them, right? And you should follow me on Twitter, of course, right? You should follow me on Twitter. All right, here we go. George Floyd. On fentanyl, heart disease, used meth, hypertension, cocaine addict, having a heart attack, resisted arrest, refused to get in the car, ambulance called, restrained, dangerous due to fentanyl, dies. Now, these are just facts. There's no conclusion here. These are the facts. And there may be more to come. I'm sure there will be more to come. These are the facts. And people are like, well, it's still murder. Oh my God. So murder requires intent. It it requires that you want to kill someone. Otherwise, it may be something else, manslaughter, third degree, as he's been charged with. But you also have to, even for manslaughter, you have to act in a reckless manner to the point where a reasonable person would expect that someone might be killed or might die. They knew he was gonna go in medical distress. He'd shown that he was dangerous. And of course they didn't know he was people saying, well, but fentanyl doesn't make you violent. It's like they didn't know he was on fentanyl. They don't have like these field tests. They don't have like fentanyl sniffing eye, pa- eye watches on their on their wrists. They don't have dogs that can sniff fentanyl fentanyl coming out of people's armpits. They don't know. They don't know what he's on. Yeah, instead of George Floyd, we should be discussing George Soros. Yeah, well, that's uh That's quite a third rail for a lot of people, too, right? Yuri Besmanov, former KGB propaganda agent, explained everything that is happening now. Yes, his stuff is well worth watching, for sure, for sure. Now, let me not forget my lovely friends over on Discord. And what have we got here? What are your thoughts on Blackout Tuesday, where people post a black tile on Instagram? I guess it's just the content of their rational minds. I'm curious to hear your criticisms of Trump in his first term as president so far. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I won't start it now because I'll need to make some notes about all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, You've inspired me. Someone says, you've inspired me to join the Fight for Liberty and start my own podcast. I have a family who I support with a nine to five job. Can you briefly outline how to A, limit liability to the podcaster from lawsuits? B, avoid losing my job and having my life generally ruined. Well, if you're not going to go all in as I did, which I'm not – it's not better or worse. It's just if, if, right? If you're not going to go all in the way that I did, then you really do need to be responsible to your family. As far as limiting liability, um, just go talk to a lawyer. I'm not going to try and give you advice on how to limit liability. Um, And um, you can go anonymous, right? You can put your voice through a filter. You can uh, go out there without – you know people having to know who you are, and then maybe you'll get big enough that uh, you can change that. But uh, that would be, yeah, certainly possible. There's certainly times where I was like, man, I should have been totally anonymous. I really, really should have been anonymous. All right. Um, Sorry, so that's the questions that I've got going on there. And listen, you guys should really check it out. Subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. subscribestar dot com forward slash free domain uh you could you got to join the community there uh it's uh it's a huge amount of fun uh there and uh it's good let's see here i stopped considering stefan and narco-capitalist years ago his rhetoric changed remarkably <laughs> yeah 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 all right um not an argument. Not an argument. All right, let's go back to our questions here. we we'll do a little bit of time here. You guys, again, the most addictive and enjoyable conversation partners in the known universe. All right, let's get here. What else have we got here? Bring back that Leroy Brown. All right. Stefan is anti-brick. <laughs> do a video on the woman's NBA, please? Really? Looking at all the woke white kids joining the protest, don't you think this shows the failure of educational system? Well, sure, but it's not designed to be an educational system. It's not. I mean, it's off the Prussian model, which was designed to put out compliant soldiers and factory workers. So a fellow says, Stefan Molyneux, I live in St. Louis, and I am black, and I'm wondering what do you think my best course of action should be? I've been thinking about leaving. You know, it's kind of tough. I really don't like to give advice at this level, like should you stay or should you go, like Clash song style. Sorry, that's a pretty white-ass reference, but you know what I mean. So, listen, tons of smart black people out there, right? I mean, 20% of blacks are smarter than the average white. There's there's lots of tons of smart black people out there, uh, lots of smart people out there who'd be very happy to have you be part of their community. I'd be happy to have you as a neighbor. And, you know, just travel around until you find some place where it feels right to put down roots. And... Don't You know, this is a situation where it's really, really important in these times where it looks like not just America, but Canada's going to need a southern border. It's really important to not be tied down too much. Like, I hate to say it, but this is going to be a lot of cut ties kind of situations. Because people are going to try and drag you down with them into their bullshit, into their lies, into their matrix, into their media, into their whatever, right? And it's going to be really volatile. You know, the white kids... So, you know, whites uh, are subject in general to a lot of what's pathological altruism, which is to put the interests, uh, your own interests, I don't mean as a race, but just individuals, put your own interests aside for the sake of really being there for other people, other groups, even people who hate you, even groups who hate you. So Christianity, of course, has these two poles, right? An eye for an eye versus turn the other cheek. And... The eye for the eye for a couple of hundred years really freaked out Christianity to the point where, as I said yesterday, the separation of church and state happened. So Christianity is really start, starting to swing back from that pendulum of turn the other cheek and they're going to start moving towards an eye for an eye. So turn the other cheek is the weak side of Christianity. It's the slave morality side of Christianity. It's what they needed to do to survive uh, being a fledgling religion. Uh, and um, so turn the other cheek is useful for the weak and for the women and, and at the time and all of that. But uh, um, an eye for an eye is a different matter. And it's going to it's going to change. It's going to change. You know, um, Germany was one of the most religious countries, if not the most religious country in Western Europe pr- during the time of the Weimar Republic and so on. And then they believed that communism was going to take over in Germany the same as it took over in russia and was going to kill all the christians because it's an atheistic philosophy right and so they just freaked out so yeah let's see here uh where do you you put your sources oh they'll be in description so i didn't get around to the ones yesterday uh today uh, my, my daughter has uh, very very keen on bike riding at the moment so <laughs> murder or a heart attack Well, it can't be both, right? Hi, Stefan. I got asked about whether taking government money from people identified as rioters infringes free speech in relation to your Facebook post yesterday. Government money from people identified as rioters infringes free speech. Sorry, I don't quite understand that. Do you think the U.S. can truly be multiracial? Well, as I've always said, I, I, I believe that we can get along if we can talk about facts with each other but if all the explanations for group disparities in outcome is just endless white racism then white people are gonna get pissed off after a while and you know i've been working to try and avoid that by having people talk about facts but uh i've said this before like europeans pretty nice until they're not and they're pretty not nice then and we're trying to avoid that right where should we draw the line on the amount of power police should have when detaining or arresting someone Now, that is a very interesting question. So the solution in a stateless society is economic ostracism as opposed to having the police grab. And so everybody has the right of self-defense. People will have guns if they need to. But, of course, we only get to a stateless society when... People's childhoods are less traumatic, right? So I talked earlier about how a tra- traumatized childhood leads you towards totalitarianism. And look at Hitler's childhood where his father beat him into a coma at one point to understand who he was screaming at and why he was so enraged and why he felt the state had to be such a tyrant. And, um, I mean, Stalin was a straight-up bank robber and truly sociopathic criminal. And you imagine what his childhood was like. And you look at the childhoods. I did an audiobook reading of Lloyd DeMoss' great book, Called The Origins of War in Child Abuse. You can get that at freedomain.com forward slash books. It's free. It's an audiobook reading of the origins of war and Childhood, child abuse. You really need to read that or listen to it. So we only get a stateless society when childhoods improve, which is why I focus so much on peaceful parenting. Because then people can have happy childhoods, they don't need the state. Criminality goes down enormously, violence goes down enormously, predation goes down enormously, exploitation and theft. Like, why do people steal? Because their childhoods were stolen from them. Why do people grow up having no respect for society's rules? Because society didn't protect them as children and didn't give a living shit about them when they were being abused as children. I mean, I went through a minor shoplifting phase when I was in my early teens because I was like, why the hell would I obey society's rules? Society let me get the shit beat out of me on a regular basis and didn't care about it. In fact, blamed me. You know, blamed me. I couldn't get any homework done at home. I had a mother who was climbing the walls with genuine paranoid insanity who ended up being institutionalized several times. And then I'd go to school and the, the teachers would mock me and scorn me for not having my work done. And they'd say, you're a smart kid. If effort matched ability, you'd be an A+. So I had the burden at home. I got heaped with the burden at school. Why the hell would I care about society's rules? Why would I have a shred of respect for society's rules at all? So you do what you can get away with. I mean, you hope you don't get caught, but that's just a game. You haven't internalized any of society's rules because society has treated you like shit your whole life. This is where a lot of this rage comes from. This is why you should intervene when you see child abuse happening in your society, because otherwise you raise people who have no interest in obeying society's rules from any moral standpoint. I mean, they might conform because they're afraid of being thrown in jail, but... They don't internalize any of these ethics. Why would they? Why would they? still feel bad about Mr. Gameway's arc. I didn't take much, but anyway. So let's get to some uh, some other questions. Oh, yeah, so sorry. So we only get to a stateless society when we have better childhoods, and so you're not going to have much crime. You're not going to have much violence. Economic ostracism is the way to go. But the way it works in reality at the moment, though, see, our entire legal system in the West, was developed for a mostly white population. Now, a mostly white population commits crimes at a certain level, and this is true of whites all across the world. Whites in Belgium, whites in Canada, whites in America, whites in South Africa, they all commit murder, say, or violent crime at about the same rate. It's about the same rate. And... Blacks all around the world commit crimes at roughly around the same rate, and East Asians commit crimes that, you know, East Asians commit the least crimes. That's why they're known as the model minority and has a lot to do with higher IQ, higher IQ than whites, and so on. So the legal system in the West was calibrated for a largely white population. And when you bring in populations that have different levels of crime, then the legal system, which is calibrated in a, for a particular demographic, just has trouble adapting because it's the government, right? So it has real trouble adapting. So the way that the police system was developed was predicated on the basic reality that most white people and even more East Asian people, when they're arrested, they're not going to fight. I mean, it'll happen for sure. You'll get whites or East Asians uh, high on PCP or or schizophrenic or or just straight up mean and and vicious and so on. And it will happen occasionally that this will occur. But it is significantly more likely for a young black man to attack a cop while being arrested than, say, a, a young Hispanic man or a young white man or a young East Asian man. The odds are just that much higher for reasons, you know, to do with the warrior gene and, and culture and and all of this sort of stuff, right? It's, it's just, it's a fact. So what's happening, of course, is that as the demographics shift in the West, and you can see this in Sweden with the influx of um, uh, men from the Middle, Middle East who just they just don't have the same relationship to the legal system, to the social mores, to the compliance and all of that, so cops were given powers to arrest, to escalate, to use violence, predicated on the fact that, well, I mean, they, they were developed in general based on the fact that white people pretty compliant with the law, um, and East Asians even more so. So when you say, when you develop a, a, um, a legal system for a relatively low crime population, then you can give the police certain amount of powers because only the very craziest and most violent and most nasty people in that demographic are going to end up fighting the cops. So you can give them a lot of power because it's going to be very rare that they're ever going to have to use it, and most people are going to say, oh, gosh, it's so rare. But then when you have a situation where you have a lot of people fighting with the cops, then that power suddenly looks crazy, right? So it's a a real mess. Uh, What's wrong with ethnostates? I mean, I'm not sure what your, what your question is. If you want to start criticizing ethnostates, um, then, of course, you know, you've got to start with Saudi Arabia. You've got to start with Israel. You've got to start with uh, most of Africa. You've got to start with Japan. right? So, But everybody just criticize. So the reason that ethnostates, white ethnostates are criticized is because non-whites tend to vote for the left and the left won power. Right. So that's, that's all it is. Right. That's all it is. So let's see here. Systemic racism is not the problem. It's lack of police training that leads to abuse of power. Uh, I don't know. No. It's not, I mean, it's not, there's, just not, there's no magic wand that's just going to make all of this fine. Right? So World War II was Hitler's dad's fault. <laughs> no. Come on. Uh, reductio ad absurdum. Right? Philosophy minus science equals ideology. Uh, yeah, philosophy minus reason equals ide- ideology so far, right do you think that in 400 years if the US lasts that long the black population will still be complaining about slavery and racism no we, listen we're on the verge of having a sensible con- con- uh, uh, conversation about things we're on we're on the verge of everybody seen, sitting down i really believe this and i will take pride at having helped facilitate this in my own small way i think we're on the verge because look this this th- this rioting this this Complete breakdown of law and order, uh, which is largely driven by blacks and it's managed by the white antifers in some areas and so on. Like, this is a deeply shocking moment for the Republic. And I think it's going to open up some more sensible conversations about some of the racial divides, some of the causes of the racial divides, and allow for a more complex conversation to develop that's actually going to help solve some problems actually going to help solve some problems we're going to have conversations about the welfare state we're going to have conversations about education we're going to have conversations about iq we're going to have conversations about alternate explanations other than systemic generic white racism racism is the most racist word in the world because it only ever applies to whites we're gonna i think we're on the verge of actually having productive conversations about these things you know it's kind of a funny thing i guess uh, you know admiral akbar style it's a trap right uh, I remember Obama saying, listen, we need to have honest conversations about race. I'm like, yeah, we do. And then it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Unless they involve any facts or whatever, right? So, no. I mean, if if we can't find a way to have more reasonable conversations, there's no way the U.S. is going to last 40 years, let alone 400. There's just no way. Uh, repeal the 19th. <laughs> oh, there yeah. Okay, so as far as voting goes, look... I, I mean, I I would love there to be no government, no voting, but for sure, you know, the the way that the um, republic was designed was you had to be, well, first white, although it doesn't matter as much, of course, anymore, but or at all, but you had to be a landowner because you have to have property in order to vote for the protection of property. If like This is the old problem that uh, was talked about thousands of years ago with democracy, which is why it's a republic, not a democracy, is that... The problem, of course, with democracy is the poor outnumber the rich. And therefore, all the poor do is they vote to take away the property of the rich and everybody becomes poor. That's it. Right. That's it. Ah, let's see here. So, yeah, I mean, if you're not a net contributor, if, if you're a net receiver of government money, how can you vote objectively for government spending? Right, like if you're on welfare, can you vote objectively for welfare? Well, we know that you can't in any other financial situation. If you own stock, if if you get 90% of your income from the stock of a certain company and you're a business writer, can you write objectively about that? Well, no, this is called conflict of interest. It's insider trading, blah, 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 right? So let's see here. Nicaragua's engineers' population is just 1%. <laughs> Let's see here. Pakistan is an ethno-state and China. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ethnicities in China, but I certainly know what you mean. What do you think about police insurance, the way doctors have it for malpractice? Uh, p- p- police do have insurance, which is basically just the city paying out everything all the time. Is the U.S. a failed state? Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, the U.S. is a failed state. And it started in the mid-19th century when the government took over education. So, yeah, it's without a doubt. I mean, many of the statistics in the U.S. close more closely resemble those of third world countries than a more civilized country. If you look at the numbers, just look at the crime figures relative to, say, Japan. I mean, it's uh, absolutely a failed state. And, you know, people talk about segregation uh, of, of left and right and, and all of that. We all know what will happen. I mean, if you if you take the leftists and you put them in their own, somehow magically transport them to their own state, they'll run out of money and run out of food in, in about a, a week, and then they'll just burst out. So, I mean, this is a really, really tough problem. Why doesn't Stefan accept Super Chats? Well, I do. FreeDomain.Stream forward slash tip. Uh, I don't accept Super Chats on YouTube because they won't let me accept <laughs> Super Chats on YouTube, I'm afraid. Uh, that's uh, That's been the case for a long time. All wars are bankers' wars. Yeah, well, there certainly is those people who profit from both sides, right? All right. The Black Entertainment Network founder wants reparations of $14 trillion. Well, of course he does. Why not? Yeah, sure, why not? But this is the problem, right? So because we can't have sensible conversations about the causes of poverty, then it's really torturous for certain communities who don't know why they're doing badly, like they just don't know why they're doing badly. So it's it, it's completely uh, torturous. What are your thoughts on Trump and his recent photo op of the church? It's genius. I mean, look, you can criticize Trump for a lot of things, but he knows how to he knows how to market, man. The man, the man knows how to market. So of course what's been incredible with regards to this is the photo op of the church. He really drew the media out to the point where they're more upset at Trump holding up a Bible at church than they are at church it's actually being burned down to the ground. So you get this sinister, horrifying, communist, atheist crap that goes on in the mainstream media. He just drew that right out. I mean, they've, they've reacted to Trump holding up a Bible the same way that uh, uh, Tom Cruise's character would in Interview with a Vampire. Or maybe Tom Cruise, I don't know. <laughs> maybe Tom Cruise too. Uh, are you familiar with the work of No White Guilt? No, I'm afraid not. I don't know Gerard Menuhin's book, Tell the Truth and Shame the Devil. I don't know uh, about it. I really, really wish I had more time to read, but you guys are too much fun to chat with, so I can't. All right, a couple more questions. Is Canada a failed state? Uh, it's certainly on its way. Yeah, it's certainly on its way. Uh Minneapolis police have not released all the body cam footage. Don't police forces nowadays release the footage to show transparency? I don't know about that. It took a while for them to get the um it took a while for them to get the toxicology report out. I was begging for it all weekend. I think it just came out yesterday. We'll see I'm sure lawyers are going over it with a fine tooth comb and here's the thing right So what's going to happen, of course, is people are going to get triggered by whatever leads up to the death, and we don't know. It also may be something that they have to keep sealed up for fear that they're going to create a tainted jury pool if they let it out. I don't know. Again, I'm just really guessing here as an outside amateur. So, Welfare recipients voting on welfare is like prisoners having a vote on their own parole board. Well, a bit more extreme <laughs> as your example, but I, I sort of see what you're saying, right? Uh, The thing between you and Nick Fuentes is stupid, but there is a large group of right-wingers who feel you have gone soft. Can you do more to bridge the difference, please? No. I don't know what... I don't know why on earth would I want to gain the respect of some group of right-wingers. I don't (laughs) quite understand. There was nothing between me and Nick Fuentes. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I, I never talked to him. I did one interview with him years ago. You know... I don't know. Do you think the left will steal the election with mail in ballots? I think that they felt a lot. Look, so Tom Fitton probably doesn't like me or appreciate me in any particular way, so I'll say that right up front. But, you know, Mr. Bulky Peck Superman dude is doing an amazing work at Judicial Watch uh, in, in trying to get all of this stuff uh, sorted out. So I think the pushback, once Trump tweeted about The uh, mail-in ballots. uh, Once uh, they they got a whiff of Tom Fitton and Judicial Watch pushing back against all of this stuff, Uh, this is another reason why they pushed the riots so much. They're going to try and steal with mail-in ballots, but I think this, you know, it's the old thing. Like if you can loot in person, you can vote in person, right? So, uh, do you think that because of these riots, most of uh, the U.S. is going to turn MAGA? Well, we'll see. You know. Generally, when there's social chaos, you get more conservative, more law and order situations, right? So you get Giuliani after you get the 70s hellscape of New York. So um, it's the usual cycle that times are good. Everyone gets sentimental. They give lots of money. They don't want to throw people in jail, and you can't blame people for going to jail. And, And this is another reason why they won't talk about IQ is because they can get more prisoners out. And I, I don't think it's a complete accident that prisoners were let out in Democrat states just in time for the riots. Come on, let the criminals out on the streets, right? And Rice jokes, yeah, no, it's pretty pretty obscure, right? That first book was good. It got very silly after that. But the first Interview with a Vampire was a very good book. But after that, it got very, very silly. So the left is going to try, and they're, they're pretty desperate, right? Because they've got, I mean, Joe Biden is, I mean, he's a doddering uncle who should be in some, the corner of some home with a lampshade on his head or something, right? I mean, so he's not going to win. And so they're they're getting feral, but I think it's going to push it the other way. People are going to have to, like, you have to reevaluate your society when things go this badly, when you you, you have this breakdown of basic infrastructure, of basic rule of law, of basic security. So there's a reevaluation of China, there's a reevaluation of communism, and there's going to be a reevaluation of the conversation about race. Because, of course, let's be frank. I mean, these rioters have scared the hell out of the entire country. Like, the entire country is looking at this stuff in a vivid and powerful way that was not really possible in the past. They're looking at these riots, and they're looking at these attacks, and they're looking at this brutality, and they're scared shitless, and they should be. And when people are scared shitless... They're like, okay, well, it was pretty difficult to have sensible conversations about crime and racism and and all of that and IQ and, and, but you know what? It's now so horrifying to not have these conversations that we might as well have these conversations, right? It's like you got to hit bottom before you change for a lot of people. You got to just fall until you bounce. So hopefully, 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 right? Why doesn't the tip on your site support a crypto option? Uh, FreeDomain.com forward slash donate, tons of crypto options, so yeah. Is communism slavery, Stiff? No, it's worse than slavery because slave owners profit from you and have a desire to keep you healthy. No, it's it's pure sadism, pure destruction. Will the USA split into two countries in the future? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I think you've got to stand and fight for the freedoms that you have. I, I think imagining there's going to be some breakup. I mean, countries don't really break up except through massive destruction, right? Stefan is doing the most he can right now. I really do believe it. Look around. He's not exactly picking the lowest hanging fruits. Yeah, come on. I mean, I'm talking about uh, some really, really challenging stuff here, so for sure. When do you think the cops uh, the riots will end? If the cop is found not guilty, I think it'll get worse. Oh, yeah, so I mean, the plan for this is pretty pretty obvious. Uh, sorry to sound annoying, but it's pretty obvious, at least to me. So the plan is to have the trial go into October. And then for there to be an acquittal or some sort of unsatisfactory outcome for the extremists. And then there'll just be a whole bunch of riots. uh, And uh, they'll say, but they'll say, hey, man, if you vote for a Democrat, the riots will stop. So it'll be straight up. uh, It will be straight up uh, terrorism that way. (sighs) Let's see. IQ is not the problem. We have turned our backs on God. That's the problem. And while it certainly hasn't helped. It certainly hasn't helped. All right. How influential will the younger population be in the 2020 election? Well, young people generally vote socialist because they're on the receiving end of government largesse and haven't paid their taxes as much. You know, everyone has that moment. You get your first real paycheck and it's like, holy shit, that's how much I got to pay in taxes. (laughs) i never really noticed that before. And of course, you can't expect anybody in the government, anyone in the government teachers to teach you about taxation. Because they're living off it right does this chat work yes 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 it can yes it does oh i don't know. yeah it does go to youtube uh young people what's your favorite movie my favorite movie is uh an old merchant ivory movie called room with a view love that movie and it's a great book too Uh, can you talk about why immigration of productive, smart people who adapt to the local culture is desirable? Had a discussion with guys who wanted zero immigration under any circumstances. Well, how do you know? Right. So when my wife's parents came over from Greece after the Second World War in the sixties, I think it took you two or three weeks to get a Greek newspaper, and there was no internet. You so 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 and there was no welfare state really that there was available to them right so you have to integrate you have to integrate you get the welfare state and you've got the internet then you get paid whether you integrate or not and you can of course immerse yourself in your local culture and then what happens is people gather together so the first generation would gather together in Chinatown and then people would scatter and the first generation would gather together in Greek town and Italy town or whatever it is and they all gather together and then their kids would kind of scatter into the society as a whole Uh, But that's not happening anymore, right? It's not happening. So you get multi-generations of people living within particular isolated or self-encapsulated communities uh, like the Somalis uh, in Minnesota and so on. And they can maintain full contact with their host culture. They don't have to learn the language. They don't have to integrate economically because, you know, if I go to Japan, I don't have any money. I've got to find some way to talk to people so I can make a living, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this idea that you can just have a magic wand and only get the very best and productive people to come, blah, blah, blah. Plus, of course, if you take the smartest and the brightest people from all over the world, then what happens is there just aren't that many smart and bright people left in the other countries to move those countries forward. I mean, so for the West, the West has been strip mining smart people from around the world basically since the 1960s. Right, So, like, 60 years, we've been taking all the smart people from around the world and bringing them into the West, and the rest of the world's not progressing that much, right? Because we're taking their most important resource. It's kind of selfish, right? Well, you have Douglas Murray on soon to discuss his new book, The Madness of Crowds? Well, I like Douglas Murray. He's a wonderful writer. But Douglas Murray got uh, bitch-slapped really hard by Sam Harris for coming on my show when I talked about the IQ of sub-Saharan Africans, And so I think Douglas Murray has been um, put back in the box, so to speak, from talking with people like me. Although Douglas Murray has his own particular courage, of course. He did talk about IQ extensively in his book, and it's a great book. Highly recommend it. But, uh, yeah, he got uh, brought up pretty short by Sam Harris. Sam Harris is very, very keen on uh, not talking about this kind of stuff uh, for reasons that uh, we can all come up with uh, how sinister they are. But that's why Sam Harris, to some degree, owns these Right. It's everybody who's shut down these actual factual discussions about criminality and all of that and, and uh, differences in, in IQ and all of that, uh, all of those people who've been pushing this down, um, well, they own the riots. And I don't know how people live with themselves, but uh, obviously they do in, in ways that I can't, I can't fathom. So we will, be, we will be able to increase IQs medically soon. The book is The Bell Curve. Well, yeah, there is some work on that, like China's experiments with IQ 200 babies and all that, right? If East Asians are so smart, why do whites have the most amazing innovations, inventions, and global success? Compare oriental inventions to ours, compare their cars to ours, etc. Yeah, I remember, who was it? The late uh, Philip Rushton talked about that, uh, was asked about that in a conference once. He says he didn't really know. Maybe it has something to do with testosterone. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems work ethic is a larger predictor of success, not IQ. Have you considered this? Well, of course. Of course. Of course, work ethic is important. IQ is not the be-all and end-all. It's not the be-all and end-all. There's still 10 to 20% that we can work with that's really important, and it's more important to be wise than to be smart. Philosophy can't make you smarter, but it can make you wiser. So there is a lot uh, of work to do in life that we should never just surrender to IQ and say, IQ is everything, and we can't change it. I don't I don't talk about IQ in order to make everyone a determinist, but to get people to focus on things that uh, that work. Uh, let's see here. Mm, I don't remember the debate. Uh, can you please remind me of the debate? I'm trying to recall where it was a travesty of debate where a logical argument on race and IQ was ignored in lieu of media frenzy. I don't know. I do remember So um, uh, Charles Murray was on Sam Harris's podcast and Sam Harris was talking about, he apologized to Charles Murray, which was a decent thing to do. But basically it's like, well, why would we even talk about this? And what does it even matter? And blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, I'm sorry that it does matter because we're going to have to deal with these differences one way or another. And if we surrender the rational, scientific, objective, factual discussion to the communists, because the communists have their answer, right? Racism and and exploitation and, and that answer results in 77-year-old black cops getting gunned down by looters. That answer results in riots. That answer results in incredible predation within the black community. That answer results in increased racial tension. So we can either surrender the discussion of these group differences in outcome to the most destructive people in the world, or we can grit our teeth and have a sensible conversation and shut them out with facts. All right, let's do a couple more questions. IQ is a British colonial construct. Yeah, well, what can, what can I tell you, man? You're so far gone. I, I there's not. We can't even, right? We can't even talk about it, right? All right, let's, uh, let's close it down, shall we? Yeah. What time is it? Eleven thirty-five. All right. So, listen, great, great chat, guys. I really, really appreciate it. You guys are just too delightful for words and too addictive. So. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much. A super great conversation. Uh, it is, a, as usual, real pleasure. Please, please help me out at uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. That's freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, I really, really do need uh, your help. Uh, I've got a lot of projects coming on. I think the world's going to come back online. and it doesn't, I don't know about the second wave. We'll see. We'll find out in the next couple of weeks uh, Over after all of this stuff. But uh, yeah, love you guys to death. Thank you so much for a wonderful life, a wonderful conversation with the world. freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, Let me know if you like these live streams, like chatting. It's a great way for me to spend an evening, but I want to make sure it's fun for you guys as well. Let me know what I can do better as always. Operations at freedomain.com. I'll talk to you soon.